welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Here I am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bonnie in the house. Hey, if you want to run with the game changers, you already know you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Here on Zoom video with my panelists, we're doing Zoom this year instead of just phones. And I call this nuanced radio because I get to see people talk and it's wonderful. Let me tell you what our topic is today. And today's show is a little bit of a reunion because we had these same three experts on almost one year ago on a very similar topic. So let me start out here. What's the buzz on the street? I have a quote, quoting HubSpot in business2community.com. That's the number two. Sales representatives spend less than a third of their working time actually selling. Oh, my. Bogged down by administrative and other non-sales tasks. Just let that sink in for a second. What are your salespeople doing? They're working the computer or they work in the pipeline. Oh, no. So digital selling, let's face it, it can be inefficient and very time-consuming when you have to go out and manually research different prospect profiles to fill your lead pipeline, which you got to do. And then you have to come up with these unique messages per profile. You have to target them. It takes time. So how can you reduce your sales? team's busy work. Mm -hmm, That's two words with a dash. Consider digital sales automation with tools to help you compile concise, detailed reports, which is what you want, and generate new pipeline happy leads because you all want your pipeline to be happy. But but, 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 but there's a trade-off. There always is. Well, automation can provide an elegant solution. And these were words I got a year ago from one of our panelists, Walter Pollard. I'm borrowing your words, Walter. Well, automation can provide an elegant solution for streamlining and executing your internal marketing and sales processes. And we assume that you don't have silos that where marketing and sales are not talking to each other. We assume you've evolved that they're working together. It can also create a disconnect from your B2B buyers. Why? They still want you to be human beings. They want meaningful relationships. They want you to be credible. They want to be able to trust you because the bottom line is they want human B2B sellers. What a thought. So we will ask Melissa J. Raj back with us from LinkedIn. Welcome, Melissa. We have Walter Pollard, I mentioned at Brand Fusion with a Z instead of an S, and he'll tell us a little bit, remind us about his company name. And of course, we couldn't do the show without Phil Lurie at SAP. And our topic is, can we leverage digital sales automation in B2B sales? And the answer could be, maybe it could be, of course, or could be if you're very careful about it. So welcome to my panelists. And I am Bonnie in the house. Here we go. Melissa J. Raj, please reintroduce yourself to our listeners around the world. Tell us, oh, take about three minutes, Melissa. What have you been up to at LinkedIn and in general? And what's your passion for this topic? Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be back with this uh, group of familiar faces. So for those of whom I haven't met, uh, Melissa J. Raj, Customer Success Manager here at LinkedIn based in New York. Um, A little bit about my background. I've been in customer success for coming up to eight years now um, in Australia, Singapore, and now uh, in the lovely United States. Uh, Very excitedly working with LinkedIn on best practices around digital selling for the last three of those years, working very closely with Phil um, on that for SAP. Um, And the reason I'm excited about this topic is because a lot of things have changed 
Uh, I'm probably not going to be the first person to bring this up, but environmentally, we're in a very different place. And so I'm excited to talk about how digital selling has been impacted by the, the global changes that we're seeing around us. So yeah, appreciate you having me on the call, Bunny. Thank you, Melissa. We're very, very happy to have you back. Where are you? Is that a real background or is that a virtual? <laughs> this is a real background. I've been asked that a couple of times now, but this is a this is my new living space in New York. Um, I'm very blessed in that sense. Well, you've got some gorgeous, uh, it looks like some frame windows or a French door on your left. And you have a, looks like a spiral staircase <laughs> that is metal and very artistic looking. I, it does look like a virtual background. Well, congratulations. Thank when we you. get to Phil, we'll talk about he's, he's uh, sitting in front of a bridge and I want to find out how the traffic is on the bridge. Walter Pollard, you're up next. Walter, just in case there are three people who don't remember you on the show, shame on them. Why don't you reintroduce yourself? And why don't you tell us what's your passion for this topic? Walter, sure. welcome. Thank you. Glad to be on. My name is Walter Pollard. I'm the president and founder of Brand Fusion. Uh, also, I am a board of advisor at the Sales Enablement Society. Brand Fusion is a sales enablement consultancy. And my real passion behind uh, this digital selling and this topic around automation, and really very relatable today based upon the unfortunate circumstances based upon the pandemic more than ever before is the fact of the matter that leading from a position of value, not product, is so important and how we can effectively use our automation tools and message around value is so impactful for organizations that are effective at doing this today. So I have a real passion for that. Thank you, Walter. Very interesting you would talk about the pandemic. What's interesting is that B2B selling and automation has been around not just yesterday and not just this year. We're in, oh my goodness, October 2020. It's been around for a while. And we were all, many of us, working remotely before March 2020. So the circumstances have changed and maybe the, we'll, we'll talk about this, the tools may be sharper, more focused, easier to use. I don't know. That's what I'm going to learn from all of you three today. But it's interesting that um, we've been using them for a while, but now you have to use them because you can't sit down at a coffee or go to a restaurant with someone in most places. Or if you can, you're, you might be wearing a mask and everything has changed. So what is, what is the automation and what is it doing to serve the salespeople better now that you have to be distanced? I'm just going to stop there. Phil Lurie, is that the Mississippi Bridge? Did somebody get thrown off of that bridge? Is there a song about it? Welcome. Phil, we couldn't do the show without you. Welcome back. We've missed you. I've missed you. And Phil, why don't you reintroduce yourself? There might be 1.2 people in the world who don't remember you. Phil Lurie, you're up. Oh, thank you for, for the kind words. Uh, yes, that's the Mississippi. Uh, I, I liked the, the picture as a background because it's calm. And in today's world, <laughs> with, with the pandemic, calm is good. So it's sort of like peaceful. And I, it doesn't look like there's any traffic on there at all. Uh, that's between, um, it's a couple of years old, actually, and that's uh, between uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, we, we did this trip on canoes, so it was really peaceful and quiet, and uh, it was a nice summer day. Um, I've been with uh, SAP for the last 10 years. Uh, I've been in the software industry for, I hate to say this, 50 years. And uh, 
my passion recently has been digital selling, uh, where we used to call it social selling. Started that about seven, eight, nine years ago mm-hmm. and, and brought it out more broadly. And of course, worked with Melissa and her team uh, to implement uh, uh, LinkedIn, uh, among other tools. And uh, uh, to the point that uh, Walter raised, we, uh, you know, I have a number of third-party tools we use to support the SAP uh, tool suite, but um, the pandemic has really accelerated what we're doing already. I think it pushed us two mm-hmm. years ahead. The the world had changed. Social selling or digital selling has been replaced. Cold has replaced cold calling, yep. and it's even worse now because of COVID. Because people aren't in their offices, it's hard to reach them. Um, and at home, you get a lot of spam calls, especially before an election. So people aren't even answering their phones. So cold calling is is really. I wouldn't say dead, but it's rather severely injured. So we say mortally wounded. <laughs> yeah. And the, the tools and technologies that we're talking about are really important to, to keep you know, your sales pipelines full. The topic of today, we're going to be talking about sales automation tools. And uh, to the point that uh, was raised earlier, I think Walter raised it, is that you still have to stay human. And the problem with automation is you know, you've got to use it in such a way that you don't, you know, violate the principles of digital selling, which is personalize every message and, and you know, listen before you speak, you know, two ears, one mouth. So uh, the, the challenge is how do you balance automation and to reach a large audience, which you need to do uh, while, you know, maintaining that uh, human connection and the personalization of what you have to do. So we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Thank you very much, Phil. Yes, that's what I was saying about we just can't go sit down with people. And your your point is right. They're not in the office. I like you brought up the spam calls. I have friends whose phones say probably spam. Mine doesn't. Mine doesn't say that. It just says unknown caller. I find that very interesting. But I've noticed even on emails now that when uh, Outlook suspects that something coming in might be spam, it puts the title, the headline of that email in italics in my inbox. That just started recently as though to warn me this might be an unwanted ad or something you don't know about. And it's distinguishing them. So maybe the that automation <clears throat> excuse me, is trying to help us streamline our lives a little bit. Thank you very much, all three of you, for your great introduction. And now it's time to get to the quotes. Melissa J. Rogers sent us a quote from Angela Duckworth, and the book is Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Dr. Angela Duckworth, 2013 MacArthur Fellow and Associate Professor of Psychology, University of Pennsylvania, known as UPenn, an expert in non-IQ competencies, including grit and self-control. I've never heard of grit at a scholarly level like this, Melissa. So I'm going to read the quote, and uh, Melissa will expand it and tell us what in the world it has to do with our topic today. Here's the quote. Everybody listen up. This is a good one. It's a quotable moment. Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Ooh, Melissa, what does this all mean to us? Thank you, Bonnie. So uh, this book was actually given to me by a good friend of mine, uh, Adrian, um, who I work closely with at LinkedIn. Uh, and if you know Adrian, you'll know that this isn't a surprising gift to get from him because he is uh, really the epitome of um, grit and endurance. Uh, and I think it applies to all of us just generally in life at the moment with the pandemic. Um, but also generally within sales or anyone who's customer facing. I think it's, uh, you know, enthusiasm is now the bare minimum expectation, but enthusiasm and passion over time, uh, I think, is what creates trust, which is probably 
you know, one of the more important factors that we can hit on um, during a challenging time. So I read, I, I read Angela's book and it inspired me. So I wanted to pass that message um, on to others. Thank you very much. Very interesting quote. We usually do movie and song quotes, but I like this one so much. I said yes, and I'd never heard of Angela Duckworth. So thank you very much for that, Melissa. Walter has picked a movie quote. The quote is from Billy Bean. Anybody who knows their sports movies will know that Billy Bean was played by Brad Pitt in the 2011, was it really that long ago, movie Moneyball. It's a biographical sports drama film directed by Bennett Miller and written by Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin. That's why I said who was written by because it's a Sorkin movie. It's based on Michael Lewis's 2003 nonfiction book, Moneyball, an account of the Oakland A's, the Oakland Athletics baseball team's 2002 season, and their general manager, Billy Bean's attempts to assemble a competitive team. It was a very interesting movie. Here is the quote. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. Walter, help me out. What does this have to do with our sure. topic? Love yeah, it. well, uh, just real quick. Quick, the premise behind this is uh, the storyline is the Oakland A's had absolutely the lowest salary um, in baseball. They had very little money and the Yankees had the most money. Like large companies, smaller companies, they couldn't compete against the Yankees based upon money. And they had to figure out another way. And really the other way where Billy Bean has built his whole career is around innovation and differentiating and very value focused the strategies and processes processes he put in place within the A's organization for them to be highly successful and actually very consistent on a yearly basis competing against the big boys. So again, it really frames around how you need to innovate and differentiate today. And that goes back to automation and messaging and, the, and how you align those components uh, to differentiate your message for your core audience through digital selling. Thank you very much. And that was one of the things I brought up in my intro was if you're doing it manually, it is differentiated because you know this is the profile, this is the target audience. I have to speak to them. What do they want? What are their needs? What will they what will they require to feel that I'm credible, that I'm a human being? And when you're automating, you lose possibly that one person thinking about those people and it's what is the program? What is the algorithm? Oh, we might even talk about algorithms today. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Walter. Phil Lurie, send us a quote from Pablo Picasso. Anybody in the world doesn't know, I'll just tell you. I, you all know Phil. Now you're going to know Picasso. Pablo Ruiz Picasso, 1881 to 1973. Spanish painter, sculptor, printmaker, ceramicist, and theater designer who spent most of his adult life in France. He's one of the most influential artists of the 20th century, known for co-founding the Cubist movement, the invention of constructed sculpture, the co-invention of collage, thank you for inventing collage, Mr. Picasso, and the wide variety of styles he helped develop and explore. I won't go into a list of his wonderful paintings, but here is the quote, one, two, three, four, five, six words. Good artists copy, great artists steal. Oh, Phil, what does this have to do with our topic? Join me. I think that uh, it speaks for itself in that uh, in what we're talking about, you really want to take the best ideas and, and as Walter pointed out, innovate on them. But uh, to a certain extent, if you see someone doing something really well, you should you learn from that and then build upon it. So it's pretty straightforward. Uh, uh, in that regard, we just need to, uh, you know, 
get ideas from wherever we can. And, uh, and uh, this is, we're in innovative times and uh, a lot of the great innovations are just twists on existing uh, approaches. Interesting perspective, Phil. I think people who consider themselves great innovators in their companies would not want to admit that they it's a piece of something they saw or heard somewhere else and that there is copying. Very, very interesting. It Phil, takes a team, right? It, takes it does a team. take a team, even if it's not your immediate team, right? And and the interesting thing is stealing. So uh, let me just ask you, Phil, in, in terms of an algorithm or a formula that's there, um, in terms of stealing it or reusing it, is there a, and I'll go around the table, start with Phil, is there a danger in reusing and using and using over and over again that you'll get stuck in this, this paradigm of, I didn't really check to see if it's what this particular segment in my profile, in my, in my pipeline really wants. Phil, do we have that danger in saying, copy and paste, this will work for this audience and just saying, oh, automation, it's fast, I'm busy, duh. Phil, what do you think? Absolutely, that's a serious problem. My my major objection to our, our topic, uh, you know, problem issue, I should say, that our topic raises, is uh, the the temptation to just send the same message to thousands of people, uh, and that's not going to work. I mean, it just never worked before. And having automated tools, so the tools that we're talking about, the sales and or digital or marketing automation tools, are power tools. And, uh, you know, you need proper instruction and training to use them. Uh, I wouldn't give my uh, three-year-old grandson uh, a power tool without uh, making sure he's properly guided. Well, our, our young sales and marketing people uh, have already gotten us into trouble uh, by not realizing the rules of the road of what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be. And in today's world, uh, with uh, litigation uh, being a popular sport uh, in Europe. Uh, we've got uh, the uh, uh, data protection laws. We also have them in California and Canada. And we find that people who are using these power tools need to know what they are and what they are not allowed to do using these power tools. Uh, so Thank we have to be very careful. I'm glad your three-year-old grandson is safe, Phil. I feel much better now. Let's He's go five, around the actually. table. Oh, five, five. <laughs> time He's flies. Five. Time flies. Okay. Yeah. Even more important that he knows how to use power tools. Melissa, what's your thought about Phil's concept of still good ideas, but don't keep using the same formula or algorithm without putting your personal viewpoint on it or your personal distinction of whether it's appropriate? Melissa, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I love Phil's analogy about power tools. Uh, it, it's definitely a good one. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if we continue to just, to your point, Bonnie, copy and paste, is it, is it really any different from the spamming environment that we see on email or, or cold calling? I, I don't really think that's true. And so um, I think personalization, but making personalization focused and specific and automated in that sense is a great idea. And I think, you know, people need to think about how to bucket maybe groups of uh, prospects or leads together based on the similarities they have. And then if you want to go ahead and try and, you know, copy and paste part of that message, I get. But for the most part, I really believe that personalization is key. And that's mainly because of the way that we experience the buying process today. You go out and do a, you go out and you buy a TV or a new car. Typically, you've gone and you've done your research and there are specific things you want out of that. Um, and we're so used to that personalized buying process in day-to-day -day life, why would we expect anything different when we're purchasing products and services? Thank you. Very interesting. Walter, join me. What do you think? Yeah, I 
really agree with uh, Melissa and Phil from a variety of points. They bring up a, a lot of impactful um, points here. So, again, it really comes back to t- today, uh, as Phil was talking about it, Melissa, you really have to align to those stakeholders and their specific roles who you want the message to and the way you want to automate automate too. So Melissa was talking about personalization. That's so important. But also another component, because we all see you can personalize your message, but the problem is a lot of folks, sales and even in digital sell, lead from a position of product <clears throat> where the customer's not interested in product. Customers don't buy products, they buy outcomes. So you really need to focus from a value perspective, your message based upon that stakeholder role where you can have a value conversation with them. Thank you. Customers don't buy products, they buy outcomes. That could have been the title of the episode. Thank you, Walter. <laughs> Appreciate that. That's a whole different mindset. Isn't that they talk about, isn't there a famous phrase about they're not buying the drill bit, they're buying the quarter inch hole that the drill right. bit will make, Right. <laughs> Okay, and they're not buying the hammer and the nail. They're buying the experience of having the picture on the wall that the hammer with the nail put in the wall. Yes, okay, we'll go from there. Now it's time for our formal roundtable, and my panelists have graciously sent me a couple of discussion statements each to spark the conversation. I'm going to start off with statement number one from Melissa J. Raj. Melissa, I'm going to read just a little because it's very detailed, and I appreciate that. And then I'll ask you to expand it, or what we say on the news, what they say on the news, unpack. Melissa. And then I will invite Walter to agree or disagree. And Walter, if you agree, don't just stop there or we end the show. I agree. (laughs) Okay, nothing more to say. Add your thought leadership. And then Phil, I'll give you the chance to agree or disagree with Melissa and or Walter make it a little more complicated. And then Melissa, if there's anything controversial, just wave your hand violently at me on Zoom and I will let you wrap it up with comments back to them. Otherwise, I'll pick a statement from Walter and read that. And we'll go around that would be Phil and Melissa and then one from Phil and Melissa and Walter. So there we go. Now everybody's completely confused. Here's what Melissa told me. More quality leads equals more quality pipeline. Having a sizable, high quality source of leads can be a point of friction for the sales organization. I'm going to stop there. Sounds interesting, Melissa. Your time. You're up. Awesome. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest piece of feedback that we typically hear from a lot of sales organizations is They don't know whether the quality of leads that they're getting through from specific sources are high quality. Um, And I think there's there's a couple of different ways that you can actually vet that in the sense that obviously, you know, once a customer or prospect has shown interest, maybe through marketing and it's been marketing qualified, making sure that you do your due diligence um, as a salesperson or someone who's customer facing by doing your own discovery and research is a really easy and quick way that you can make sure that you're obtaining high quality pipeline and running with that. You know, the worst thing that we want is to be chasing after leads that are low quality or that haven't shown interest or engagement. Um, And I think really being able to identify high quality leads quickly uh, based on timing and, you know, certain um, maybe information that they're putting out into the obviously in this case into the internet is just a really easy way for us to qualify high quality pipeline. And I think honestly, that's the difference between, you know, um, forecasting accurately and probably forecasting inaccurately. Interesting. Thank you. That sounds provocative. Walter, join us. Thoughts, agree or disagree, please. 
Yes, I definitely agree, without a doubt. Um, I think uh, Melissa brought up a very important point, discovery and research. Actually, defining ladies and doing discovery and research is an actual art form. And unfortunately, uh, it's been somewhat lost, but uh, sales folks really need to focus there uh, to understand the, um, the value of the lead and be able to uh, quantify the lead itself. So I think that's very important. Thank you. Phil Lurie, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both? I'm going to be very boring and agree. Um, yeah, um, I, I believe in planning. Um, you know, the adage I like is um, measure measure twice, cut once. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole idea of uh, looking at your prospect list and figuring out the uh, best targets of opportunity or the low-hanging fruit or whatever you want to call it is really important. And um, the traditional sales methodology has been, you know, throw as much as you can into the pipeline and then filter it out and figuring you got a 1% uh, with the digital selling and where we are today, you're much better off sending out fewer emails or in-mail messages to people and really thinking well about what you're doing. So we've got to, um, with our junior uh, sales uh, lead gen departments, we've got to make sure that they, uh, spend the time on quality and not expect them to get a hundred emails out a day or a hundred phone calls a day, but uh, 10 good ones. Uh, if that's the number and I just made a number up, but um, that would be the way to approach it because it's got to be a matter of quality versus quantity. And uh, that's the evolution and traditional, you know, managers have, have to sort of make that transition in their, their minds to understand that that's what their teams need to do. Thank you, Phil. Melissa, good conversation started. Anything you want to say back to your co-panelists, Melissa J. Raj? Um, no, I think they've all hit the nail on the head. So again, I'm going to be boring and say I agree. <laughs> Not boring at all, just interesting. Thank you, Walter Pollard. You're up next. I'm looking at your statement number one, Walter. Let me read it. It's brief and to the point. We'll ask you to expand it or unpack it. Walter told me before the show, a well-designed and structured sales process that is aligned to a marketing automation program and is customer-centered, is vital to navigating buyers through your sales pipeline. There's a lot of information in that one sentence. Walter, why don't you tell us what it all means, please? Sure. Well, it goes back really to understanding your buyers very well and having a very customer-centered approach that you actually align in your sales process. So when you are messaging to your core audience that you know how to effectively align the marketing automation tool through your sales process based upon who you're speaking with, having a conversation with, providing information to, because that structured process is going to let you define based upon role, stakeholders, and their core needs, and have a, a messaging strategy and structure in place that's going to resonate with them by the information you're providing them. Walter, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Whose job is it to structure that sales process? Where does that come from? Is that a chief selling officer? Is that uh, somebody in the, in the, the team or in the, in the hitting box who says, hey, I have an idea for a structure? Who, who designs the structure? Great question. It's very, it's, it's uh, based, based upon many different organizations. They do it differently, but I would say uh, definitely at your SVP sales roles, I think it's very important. But I also think since um, the evolution of digital, I think um, marketing sales and customer 
success should be involved in that process because the sale doesn't end once you make the initial sale. You have, you know, you can upsell and cross-sell in the future. So, and this also, I'm seeing the evolution of the sales enablement role. If you have it, if you have sales enablement as a strategic function within your organization, the sales enablement role is now getting involved to help form that sales process with sales marketing customer success. Thank you very much, Phil Lurie. Join us. Thoughts. So I, I have a question actually, instead of a, a comment. Walter, do you see the um, the merger of uh, sales and marketing roles, because we're, we're seeing a bit of overlap. Uh, uh, demand gen used to be more of a marketing role and seems to be more of a sales. And the way I've been considering it is that salespeople can be doing marketing roles and marketing people could be doing sales roles. Are you seeing that convergence industry-wide? Um, I'm definitely seeing the convergence, Phil. I think a lot start to happen with digital transformation and companies seeing that they have to bring them together, marketing sales. But I also still see quite a bit, unfortunately, where there's definitely silos, right, between marketing sales. But I would say more so than not, they are forming and coming together. And you brought up an important point where sales is taking on some marketing. Canadian companies taking on sales. I think that's really vital and you're spot on there. It's really important because they need to understand, uh, as I say, each one's territory, so to speak, to be effective and efficient and aligned to work together. Thank so you very much. Phil, go ahead. The differentiation that we're, we're looking at, or I think of, is that uh, the sales approach is uh, one-to-one, which is what we've been talking about, and marketing is still a one-to-many, and I'm more right. concerned about how do we do the one-to-many in a proper manner, which is where we get to the tools that this you know, conversation is supposed to be about. So, Phil, what are your thoughts about the idea of a structured sales process if it's driven by the SVP of sales uh, versus maybe somebody in the marketing silo would say, no, 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 that's not going to work. What's your thought on that? It really depends upon who your your SVP is. Uh, if you've got somebody who is uh, stuck in the old ways, you're doomed. If you've got someone who can be more flexible and adopt, uh, adapt to the change, uh, you know, if you're an older company, you know, uh, a Microsoft, uh, an SAP, uh, even a Google now, if you don't adapt to the changes in the marketplace, you're doomed because there are always little guys just starting up who can be more flexible. And we have big organizations and it's hard to change big organizations because there's momentum and momentum. When you're a small company, you don't have to push a lot of weight to, you know, to, to get, doesn't require a lot of uh, energy to move, move a small object. It takes a lot of energy to move a big object. So if you've got a creative SVP who can move an organization, that's a real winner. Uh, and it comes from the top. So you need a, you need innovative leadership. Uh, and that is a, a rare commodity and a number of companies have it. Interesting point. Melissa, join us, please. Thoughts? Yeah, I think it's interesting that we've brought up, I guess, um, the concept of customer, the customer experience, right, from the beginning moment when marketing touches right at the start of a cycle all the way through to one-to-one touches from sales. And then post-sales with customer success, we never really think holistically about um, how customer experiences our brand um, across all three levels. And we know that when sales and marketing align, the conversion rates typically for sales are a lot higher. And so part of me wonders what would happen if we really brought all three of those groups 
into a room and had a very open discussion about um, what what a full structured process would mean across um, all of those uh, areas, not just for new business acquisition, but also for growth and expansion as well. Thank you. Interesting around the table. I think in my intro a few minutes ago, I mentioned that sales and marketing should no longer be in silos that are separate and not talking to each other. So I guess what I'm hearing now is that there can be be a good reason to melt those silos together or to talk to each other. And Phil, you differentiated the marketing one-to-many versus sales one-to-one. Interesting concept. Is there a danger in having those silos dissolve and having them, uh, somebody said marketing is doing sales job sales doing marketing is this a, a sense of confusion in organizations where oh we didn't get that customer it's your fault it's your fault does the finger pointing go to the marketing person versus the salesperson phil you want to tackle that one then we'll go around the table it, it depends upon your measures and um the problem that we have is that traditionally salespeople have been marked uh, have been measured or performance has been measured based on uh uh revenue total revenue or marketing is looking at uh how many leads they generate into the pipeline and how many leads they can pass over to, to uh, sales. And of course, there's very little accounting for the, the end stream of the revenue. So who gets credit for the revenue? Any big company at mm. the end of the day, they care about how much money they make. I mean, that's really the bottom. That's the real success measure. But uh, the, the intermediate goal of a marketing department has traditionally been uh, lead gens and how many how many leads have you put into that pipeline? And the complaint from sales is always, well, those those leads are you know not good, and therefore uh, the quality of those leads has been you know questioned. So there's always been that disconnect between sales and marketing. When you have them in the same physical or I should say virtual room, uh, mm-hmm. then maybe uh, you know, you have to dissolve them. But then you have to change the measures because people you know will you know, in, in any organization need to have clear set, clear cut goals and, and performance measurements and compensation based on, you know, realistic measures. So if you want to have it all working together, you need to change what marketing people were compensated on and address that with the salespeople at the same time, you know, make it fair. So, uh, you know, do you own part of a, a sale even if you just produce the lead? Yes, you do. How does that get mm-hmm. compensated? And then how do you split, you know, split revenues or, or you know, uh, commissions? How do you split commissions among that many people and, and keep it fair? So you've got some interesting uh, problems uh, to resolve. But in a smaller organization, you know, sales and marketing might, might be the same guy or gal. So, <laughs> so it's one of the advantages that a smaller company has. Why, that's why they're more nimble. And so for larger organizations, it's a much more complicated thing. You have to change the rules of the road. And that's part of what you have to do to adapt. And that goes back to what I said before. Um, More flexible organizations are more successful. Thank you. And flexibility can be a wonderful characteristic of a big company, as you said, if they have the right leadership the innovation mindset, the openness. Yes. Melissa, let's get your thoughts on what we're talking about. And then, then Walter, and then Phil, I'm going to tee up one of your discussion statements. Melissa, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think um, people have made attempts, I guess, to blur the lines between sales and marketing. And I think to Phil's point, it's, it's hard to do because we're measuring very different things. We have very different outcomes as a result. Um, I think, you know, it, it's tricky because we've had such a dichotomy between sales and marketing for such a long time 
that perhaps there's a, a mental block about specifically being more collaborative um, and because we're measuring different things. Um, and so I think when people start to talk about the full customer experience, maybe that tends to break things down a little. So, um, yeah, I'm holding out hope that the lines will be blurred and that we will get to spend more time together to collaborate on how to make a true customer experience a beneficial one. Good attitude. Yeah. Walter, thoughts? Yeah, this is a great conversation. So Phil brought up an interesting point, which I totally agree with. Uh, smaller companies being more nimble, it's easy for them. Again, you could have maybe five, 10 people in a row of marketing sales that collectively can work together. They're compared to an enterprise organization, it's much more difficult. Also, Melissa brought up a really important point, the customer experience. So what I'm seeing is if you uh, move to a customer-centered mindset and, and move away from a go-to-market mindset, the companies, especially the smaller companies that are doing this are aligning marketing sales because they're very focused working backwards from the customer specific the value they want to provide them. And it brings marketing sales together to work collectively together to provide those um, messages, whatever it may be, from a value perspective to the customer. And again, they're leading from a position of value, not product. Where if your product focus is a lot more heavier, and I find that organizations are more siloed based upon that. Thank you very much. Let's go to Phil. I'm looking at your statement number two. Let's talk about the tools, which was part of our topic today. There is a new breed of sales automation tools to help sales professionals manage multiple prospects simultaneously, facilitate provide pro facilitate providing relevant content and serving as a front end to CRM systems for call reporting. And then you talk about the devils in the details. Phil, I'm going to let you explain this, and then we will ask Walter and Melissa to comment. Go ahead, Phil. So there's a, a market uh, for these new tools that, uh, and Bonnie, can I mention names of products? Yes, you, you okay may. With it? Yes, okay. you may. So the key, the keys are, you know, there's one called Gong, there's another one called Outreach, and there's another mm -hmm. one called Sales Loft, and a few others. And what they do is, if you're, especially if you're in the demand gen part of the business, helps you manage uh, the fact that you're reaching out to a lot of people. And it keeps track of your outgoing emails and your incoming, you know, incoming emails or in-mail messages. It directs you. And uh, they have recipes or formulas or sequences, whatever they want to call them, to, take, uh, to help you facilitate bringing someone through the, the sales cycle or the sales journey. And uh, these are uh, power tools, uh, as I discussed earlier. And uh, they require a bit of programming. And that's where the devil is because uh, you've got to have good content and you have to you know, reach people at certain points of where they're making their decision. And what they're very good at is helping you keep track of you know, f having five or six balls in the air at the same time. Uh, once, you know, once you've pulled information from your uh, CRM or from your uh, third-party tools that you used for uh, identifying prospects, uh, looking at intent data and things like that, you know, once you've, you've figured out your marketing plan and a lot of times management feeds you with these tools. So the senior, the more senior sales director can feed different people, different leads. Uh, this helps you keep track of all your leads. And as I said, it's a power tool. And the problem is if it's not, you know, properly used and properly trained, it can cause a, a great deal of damage. Uh, and programming these tools is very complicated and people, 
uh, have the tendency when they see software, they think I'm going to buy that tool and it's going to solve all my problems. And my analogy is it's like buying Excel. Uh, it's a good spreadsheet program and you can solve a lot of problems with the spreadsheet, but you better know how to program that spreadsheet because otherwise you can get yourself into really big trouble really quickly. So these tools are expensive and if used properly, they're valuable. And if used improperly, improperly, they're dangerous. So a lot of work has to go into making sure they're done properly and the people are trained properly. You all heard it here first. Words of wisdom and warnings from Phil Lurie. Uh, Melissa, join us. Thoughts on what Phil said. Devil indeed in the details. Tools, great but dangerous. Programming required. Melissa, what do you think? Um, you know, I, I agree with Phil in the sense um, that enablement plays a huge role in, in when you have access to these tools. And uh, I know Phil's... Um, enablement team does a phenomenal job, but uh, it's a good point. I think it's easy to gain access to something that is powerful, that is easy to use, but unless you know how to use it, um, you're much more likely to make mistakes that might be actually more damaging for your brand and helpful. And the biggest thing that I see, I think generally within, you know, any digital selling environment is um, messaging that comes across as ineffective um, or just generally comes across in a, in a not positive sense. And as a result of that, you can actually do more damage, I think, to your brand than you can do good for it. But organizations that enable effectively um, and show people best practices, I think that's really the key to make the difference between people using something effectively and not. Giving people examples using best practices I've seen those organizations really flourish with digital selling because they're putting out a positive brand experience for everybody that interacts with them. Thank you. Walter, what do you think? I agree. I, th I think that um, uh, you do need, as I call, a lot of different tools. And by the way, all these tools are great that Phil's talking about. But for any tool, a lot of cases, I, I see shiny object syndrome where a company just buys a tool because of a functionality and they don't have a strategy and process in place how to effectively use the tool based upon their needs as an organization. Of course, every organization being different. So I highly recommend having a strategy and process place for what you're looking to achieve from a marketing and digital selling perspective and then aligning it to the tool. And also, Melissa brought up a very important point about um, the disconnect with messaging where a lot of times messaging is off and that can cause more harm than good. And so, again, folks really need to think about, especially more so than ever before, I'm seeing it more so today than I did before the pandemic, where people are just pushing out product-based messages, a lot of spam, you know, or we have X, Y, Z, where you need, really need, again, to lead from a position of value, not product, and message around the value component incorporating in these tools. Thank you very much. Good around the table. Phil, I want to bring up, I'm going to go to one more talking point from Melissa, but Phil, I want to bring up something from your statement number four, I think is uh, tangential to what we just have been discussing. You said today more than ever, your corporate brand is enhanced by the aggregated personal brands of the team. A company is judged by the people it keeps. So well put, Phil. Digital sales and marketing require personalizing messaging with more listening than talking. Phil, anything you want to say to that? I think we've covered it, but it seemed so appropriate to bring it up based on, on the conversation we just had. Phil, anything you want to add briefly to that? I would just add that uh, these tools um, 
if you use them properly, you can make sure you personalize each message. But it's it, the danger uh, when I said power tools is if someone uses this as a spam generator, it's going to do you a lot of damage. So that's that's why those two statements sort of fit together. Thank you very much. We have time for one more. Melissa, Jay Raj, I'm going to fit in statement number three from you. Interesting. You say social listening, identifying industry trends, business priorities, and understanding customer needs can set you apart as a sales representative. Is this something new, Melissa? Is this something that can be enhanced by the tools or is this one of the basics? And that's great. One of the basics of how do you find out ear to the ground, listening to the tom-toms, if you will. Uh, What are the signals? What are people looking for? For. Melissa, why don't you expand this for us just briefly and we'll, we'll go around the table. Melissa. Definitely. So uh, not a new concept, I hope, for many uh, people listening. Um, but I think especially now more so than ever, very important. I think we're seeing a lot of organizations go through pretty drastic change with turnover or layoffs or just industries coming to a standstill. And so actually being able to listen to the uh, organizations you're reaching out to empathize and provide them with a proper solution is probably going to be much more effective as a sales strategy than just Walter's point, pushing out product related uh, features um, and trying to pull people in that way. Um, And so making sure that you're listening actively through, again, digital silent platforms like uh, LinkedIn, just generally keeping up to date with what's happening within the news trends, industry information uh, is just a great way to establish trust because you show that you've done the listening, the research, um, and that that organization, you're coming to them from a perspective of how can I support and how can I help. Melissa, do the new tools help you listen? Do the new tools help you see, listen, and and basically compile what the the trends are, what the key topics are? Are there tools that do that now? Yes, I mean, biasedly, obviously, Sales Navigator does that. Um, But there are a lot of great tools out there. I mean, I personally even just spend a whole bunch of time uh, reading through any of the tech business updates that are coming through from certain news sources. Just because staying on on top of that is super important. All of that aggregates. It really doesn't take more than five to ten minutes a day, but it changes the way in which I personally interact with a lot of my customers as a result. So, yeah, I think it's out there. You've just got to find it. Thank you. Walter, join us. Thoughts? I totally agree. I, I love the fact that Melissa brought it up. Empathy. That's the key component to listening today and being really effective at sales, having empathy for your customers. So really listening to their core needs. And she's right. There's so many different tools you can use out there to really listen. But also the other component that she mentioned, then that research and discovery phase. And then this goes back to formalizing the message you can create based upon listening to others and their needs and challenges to drive a value-based message to have a very successful conversation effectively using these tools. So I totally agree with that. Thank you. Phil Lurie, thoughts, agree or disagree? Well, it's hard to disagree. Um, I'm a strong advocate of social listening, as as, uh, Melissa has uh, pointed out, and and we've invested in some tools to help with that and tools to help uh, you to publish things that you've learned so that you can build your personal brand. and uh, I like one of the things that Walter said earlier, too. It's not a matter of product. 
um, we are encourage our people to do that listening and try to figure out what kind of problems uh, our customer or potential customer might be having and come in with a solution which might which generally involves our tools uh, or our products. So you really have to take the approach of outcomes as uh, you know, uh, what we're trying to sell, Walter, that was uh, really well put. And we've, we were trying to do that same thing. And I think that's an important way to proceed. Uh, it, it, it kind of ties everything together. If you listen, you have an idea of what problem is, you need the empathy. And then, you know, people buy from people they trust and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to be the expert, you know, if you've listened to my problem, then you can solve my, help me solve my problem because you've seen it before and you know the solution. That's, that's your, putting you in the position of a trusted advisor and you're much more likely to sell. And you're probably likely to make a friend as well and then, uh, you know, have a long-term relationship. So it's a good long-term you know, cross-selling and all the other things that you want to do. So it's not just your current customers, you know, not just your future customers. It's also how do you deal with your current customers. So we, we, you want to spend a lot of time looking at the people you've already sold to and understanding the problems. Understand if your solutions that you've prom- you know, promoted to them are working and help them adjust if they're not. But I think the end of the day, we're trying to help our customers become more successful. That's Thank you, simple. Phil. Good basics. One more comment I want to get. We're just about in our crystal ball predictions round. Melissa will go first. But Walter had one thing in his statement number four. I have to read one sentence here. Walter, just a 60-second, 90-second comment. Walter says, sophisticated buyers, and we're talking B2B here, but we're talking everybody, will quickly recognize generic messaging that does not lead from a position of value. Generic messaging. How dangerous is it, Walter? Uh, Well, it's very dangerous. I think it's all what we've been talking about today. Again, if if you are a, um, Phil just brought it up, if, if you're not outcome focused, if you are actually product focused, um, it's going to do you a lot more harm than good. Of course, we all have to sell it at the end of the day, but you want to lead. I know I keep saying this, but you want to lead from a position of value, not product, and be focused on value from an outcome focus based upon the vision for the need of the client. And you'll be received by that client as well. And then you have the opportunity to sell a product or service. Thank you very much. Crystal ball predictions. We're a little bit late getting in here, but I think you can all keep it to 60 seconds. Let's see. That's the Pepsi or the Coke challenge or the Dr. Pepper challenge. Melissa J. Raj prediction, 60 seconds. You're up. Go. Okay, my predictions. Um, okay, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to anyone, but the world of work, I think, will continue to change. Remote working obviously becoming significantly more important. As a result, everyone who invested in digital selling before, I think, is primed for acceleration. I think people who are coming to the game now, there's still some time to get in, but you're probably going to have to work more quickly um, than you would have expected to. But I only see, you know, the, um, the work and the trend around digital selling increasing as a result of the remote work that we're seeing. Was that 60 seconds? Probably yeah, That was perfect. And I have to mention to you, Melissa, that on many of my other Game Changers radio shows and other shows I host it, companies that invested in digitalization before the pandemic, no matter where they are, factories, manufacturers, uh, companies involved in, in heavy-duty supply chains, those companies were able to be more nimble, more agile, more fluid to be able to pivot, to be able to figure out how to reopen or restart. And that was a great investment, whether they knew it or not at the time. Walter, 60 seconds. Go. 
Yes, if, if I'd say the key component here, um, summing up what we've been talking about today in my mind is really that sales has changed forever. It was changing beforehand and especially digital selling. And again, you really need to be value focused, not product focused. I think more organizations will drive that direction based upon what's occurred in the world over the last 68 months. New reality. Phil Lurie, last prediction. What do you see? You can get 90 seconds, Phil, because they were so, so concise. Phil, you get a bonus 30. Go. Digital selling is is here to stay, but it's going to have to evolve because people are already getting hit with a lot of spam. So it's got to change. These power tools are going to grow. There can be a lot more of them. And then there's going to be a consolidation in the field. The leaders are going to emerge. But right now, uh, I think we're going to see more and more competitors because they see this as valuable space. And right now, these tools are probably the most, uh, the best value for big companies, but there will, will be tools uh, that are less expensive, probably less functional for smaller businesses because that's where the, the real growth industry is. So I, I think we're going to see some changes in this landscape of these products and services. Digital is going to be there, but these tools, these power tools are going to change and they're going to be adjusted to fit uh, the different size companies that they're trying to sell to. Thank you. And I have a prediction. Melissa, this is targeted to you. LinkedIn is becoming my new favorite place for talking about radio shows. I have noticed in the past six months, maybe not pandemic related, that whereas I was doing all my postings on Twitter, I noticed that if somebody posts, I was on this game-changing radio show and I said this and I said that, the longevity of that messaging Weeks, months later, it's still getting passed around and noticed. I would get, you've been mentioned on LinkedIn, and it could be a show that was four weeks ago. And people are still noticing uh, that Phil Lurie said this about his experience, or Walter Pollard, or, or Melissa J. Raj, the the part of the, the chatosphere, I'm going to call it, is morphing toward LinkedIn. And I never expected this. I thought of it for more for uh, heavy duty messaging and for jobs. And I'm finding it's becoming part of that communications tool. And I like it. I love when those messages pop up. I just don't like people trying to sell me their products to get on a radio show. And I disconnect from those people. We have had a great show. Thank you so much. Shout out everybody. Applause for Kirsten Boyleau at SAP for sponsoring this series. Six years. Yes, come on. Put your hands together. I can see you. Phil, clap. Force yourself. There you go, everybody. And thank you to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, Voice America, the business channel. Yay to Aaron. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been wonderful. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Melissa J. Raj at LinkedIn, just like Walter Pollard at Brand Fusion with a Z in Fusion, and just like Phil Lurie at SAP. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy, be well. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.